The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett, clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Today we get to talk about Game of Thrones, which I am very happy to talk about. So I'll start with my first experience with Game of Thrones. I was watching the HBO series um, the day it launched, and I gotta be honest... The high budget, the fantasy realms, I was hooked and I went out and bought the books immediately and I started reading and I dived right into it. Um, The story is so very well developed and the characters and the history are so rich and detailed. George R. R. Martin is definitely a master of weaving worlds. I agree and I think George R. R. Martin did such a wonderful job of creating this incredible all-encompassing world and really unique and really deep characters that a lot of us at least in some aspects can relate to i think that um, the series are especially good considering that each chapter is written from a different character's perspective and if you actually read the books you get to follow each character's story um, through the different chapters and um, both in reading the books and watching the television show, we really get engrossed in all of these stories. And given the fact that there's not a leading character, it actually gives us a lot of different opportunities to root for different characters and relate to different characters. And I think what really keeps us on our toes as viewers and as readers is that we never know which character is going to make it and which one won't, right? Uh, I think what made the very first book and and the the first season so powerful is that everyone thought that Ned Stark was the leading character, right? I did when when I was first watching it. And I, I started with the show. Who didn't? I know. And, uh, and I remember being really surprised uh, at the way that the first season ended. And um, and then, of course, proceeding uh, with the series, knowing that um, that no character is safe. Right. Obviously, you're into the Game of Thrones universe and everything. What was your first experience with Game of Thrones? So I started out with the TV show. Um, my uh, one of my best friends was actually a big fan of the books. And um, I talked to him about um, this really thick book he was reading, and I asked him what it was, and he said, oh, it's this um, book series, Game of Thrones, and he started telling me about it, and I thought it sounded fascinating, and a month later, the TV show started. So I started watching the TV show, and after the end of the first season, then I got the books, and really enjoyed them, and um, continued watching the TV show, and I thought it was 
really, really well done. I thought that the show, um, as you mentioned, is really encompassing and engrossing and really fascinating. And of course, a lot of episodes end on cliffhangers so that we want to know what happens next. Right. I mean, you, you see it on HBO. It's the most high budget looking thing you can imagine. I mean, it's so beautifully done. Ultimately, and I'm going to tell you right now, spoilers are probably going to happen. Um, if spoilers you are coming. Yeah, exactly. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones yet, please do yourself the favor and watch it ASAP. You will thank me later. In terms of psychology, Game of Thrones is a smorgasbord of traumatic experiences, villainous characters, and loss and tragedy on just about every scale imaginable. As I watch the show, just about every character I connected with and liked was killed off rather quickly. So what I want to ask you is, how does an audience member who connects with this show cope with the tragic death of their most beloved character? <laughs> That's a great question. I think all of us, especially if you're a Game of Thrones fan, can probably relate to the to the fear of watching each episode and worrying if your favorite character is going to make it, as well as maybe the terror or the disappointment that happens if they're injured or maybe killed. I think most of us can probably remember the, the horror of the Red Wedding episode, um, after which many of the characters that we loved and cared about have died. And the, I think the way that a lot of fans cope is actually through connecting with their fandom. There are Facebook groups and um, Tumblr groups and all kind of groups that allow for individuals within that particular fandom to explore what happened in a particular episode. And I think the beauty of fandoms, such as the Game of Thrones one, is that we get to process what happened with other people. There's actually a healing element to this because we experience a really natural and pretty strong loss when we lose a, a beloved character. And the relationships that we form with fictional characters are actually called parasocial relationships, which means that to us, it feels as if they're our friend, perhaps, um, even though that character is not actually in our life. It's, it's kind of a one-sided relationship. But when that character dies, we experience a very personal loss. It's as if our dear friend has died or maybe a part of us has died. So having support groups such as um, different kind of fandoms and online groups or maybe in-person uh, viewing groups can actually be really, really helpful for processing what we're experiencing. You know, watching it with friends is always better than watching it alone. Being able to just share it with someone else and go, holy crap, <laughs> you know, did you just see that? There's so many aspects to so many things in this show that we can go into in deep detail. Um, one thing I want to go into right now is the fact that there are so many strong female characters in this series. Um, George R. R. Martin does a great job of displaying the shift from stereotypical female roles uh, to formidable adversaries and in some cases equals. Um, Daenerys, Cersei, Sansa, Arya, Brienne, um, they're all very strong female characters. What I want to know is, what is your take on displaying female characters in this like strong light, as opposed to stereotypical gender roles as expected in a, a fantasy monarchy? 
Well, I think um, traditionally speaking, a lot of the fantasy stories that we grew up with this,、uh, portrayed women as、um, more submissive、um, roles and、um, didn't have women join kind of the quest to power or the adventure. And I'm really, really excited to see more、uh, fantasy and science fiction stories that are displaying women as equal. Men and、um, it was really nice actually to see the series show this progression because in the very beginning we see all the Starks, for example, in the traditional gender roles, kind of in the more submissive gender roles, and then as time goes by. We see Arya develop into the incredible warrior that she is today. We see Caitlyn, Caitlyn Stark, right,、uh, become a lioness to protect her children, and I think it's really, really inspiring and really exciting to see this for men and women as well as gender-neutral individuals. I think it's really powerful to see. Female characters portrayed in this way as equals it sends a lot of really important messages about equality, and seeing someone like Sansa, for example, that started out、um, playing the role of Joffrey's future wife and then becoming this、um, incredible leader that she is now the the leader of the North、um, is incredibly inspiring and empowering. I think for all genders. Um, and even to see some of the villains like Cersei take throne, I think is really, really empowering. So the fact that we're seeing that even in this land, even in this world, women are being recognized not only as equals but even in the position of power, showing that women can lead, women can become queens, is so powerful. I remember watching the scene where. Cersei was trying to conduct business with some of the people in、um, Westeros, and some of them were ignoring her or telling her that they can't deal with her because she's a woman. And then seeing the way that she's developed and the way that she's taken power, although she is a villain, and I, I do think that. The amount that she's accomplished is really admirable, and I think that for、uh, viewers of all ages, it's really inspiring to see female characters that are portrayed in this way. You're you're talking about crashing the norm and all that stuff, and the and the cool thing is that、uh, a lot of people probably don't know that Dorne is a very advanced like equality system.、Um, it started back. Um, way back when, when Valeria was good and all that stuff, and this is in the books, is that Nymeria、um, had a whole army, and she was basically、um, this warrior queen, and it was very cool.、Um, she had this whole army of warrior women and all this stuff, and they they took over Dorne, and it, it influenced them to have this new, you know, hierarchy where it was like princes. And princesses, there's no king and queen or anything like that. But anybody can rule, man or woman, can rule their kingdom.、Um, It's funny because Nymeria almost reminds me of Wonder Woman. She was like the Wonder Woman of Dorne, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, she was the warrior queen.、Yeah. I mean, it was. It,、yeah. um, and it was、um, it was Nymeria that Arya later named her direwolf after, right? Right. Yeah. Correct. It spawned,、uh, you know, books and and you know, tales, and it was like the whole like 
odyssey of the whole you know Westerosi mythos. But I want to I want to stay on this um, female gender role. There might be fans that connect with Brienne's past. Um, Brienne is very strong and she's very knightly and she's very honorable. But she has a past of being bullied and teased and ridiculed for like her size and her appearance. Can you talk about her path of healing and recovery? Absolutely. Um, Brienne's one of my favorite characters, actually. I love her trajectory. I love her arc. Um, she started out as the kid that didn't belong, the kid that didn't quite fit in. She was expected to wear girls' dresses and attend balls and act in a certain way, but she wanted to become a knight. And back then, it was not heard of uh, for women to become knights. But at the same time, she fought long and hard to become a knight, to earn her honor. Because women were not accepted into knighthood, she fought harder. She learned harder. And now, she is better than just about any knight that we can meet. She is someone that swore her loyalty to Caitlyn Stark. When the time comes, I will not hold you back. Then I am yours, my lady. I will shield your back and give my life for yours if it comes to that. I swear it by the old gods and the new. And swore forever to protect her children. She's someone that certainly earned the knighthood that she received. She earned the honor and the respect that she now gets from the Stark family, as well as from Jamie Lannister. And I think that because of her perseverance, because of her resilience, because of her unwillingness to allow society to dictate her future, Brienne became the fierce warrior that she is today. She actually does embody everything that has to do with knights, and I love that it's a woman. And then you have the total opposite, which is someone who I actually appreciate very much, which is Sander Clegane, also known as the Hound. His honor is in his truth. He's so unashamed to be who he is and say how he feels. Um, and he's definitely affected by the trauma that his brother has inflicted upon him. And in fact, his brother has inflicted, you know, pain upon innocent women and children. And he's supposed to be a knight. So Sander has this super negative view about knights because of his brother. In Game of Thrones psychology, you actually dedicated a chapter to him. Uh, can you discuss the dynamic that this character has in terms of his struggles and his trauma? Sure. Largely because of what he experienced as a child, Clegane, or um, also known as the Hound, um, experiences a lot of distrust, uh, a lot of hatred toward certain people or certain characters, as well as severe phobia of fire. Um, some people actually think that he might have post-traumatic stress disorder. I would have a really hard time determining whether or not the Hound has post-traumatic stress disorder because we don't know enough about whether he has all the symptoms, including the nightmares and the flashbacks. But what we do know is that he does appear to have specific phobia of fire. Uh, in fact, um, he actually abandons post and leaves the city when he sees um, the incoming ships that are on fire. And um, this reminds him of the, of the terrible trauma that he experienced as a child that his brother put him through. 
Nevertheless, when it comes to protecting people that he cares about, like Arya, for example, he's willing to face his biggest fear and stand up for the people he cares about. Similarly, um, most of the knights were following orders in um, Joffrey's orders in being cruel to Sansa and torturing her. And the Hound was actually the only one that stood up for her, um, whatever it meant, even if it meant that he would get punished, which he didn't, but he took the risk um, to do the honorable thing and to stand up for, um, for Sansa, even though he pretended like he didn't care about her at all. I mean, that's why I love him so much. I mean, he, he 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 says it time and time again, I'm not a knight. He doesn't want to even associate with that. And his honor is, he, he, it's so intact. It really is. I mean, he might have some issues, but he, he definitely is an honorable person. And I think Brienne and him have that, you know, connection with one another. I, I want to stay on the topic of your, the, the book, the, the Psychology of Game of Thrones, and as the subtitle of the book says, the mind is dark and full of terrors. Um, who would you say is more sadistic, uh, Joffrey Baratheon or Ramsay Bolton? That's a hard question. Um, I would have to go with Ramsay Bolton. I think Joffrey is a lot more controlled in his um, torture and abuse and... Um, there are things he wouldn't necessarily do. Um, although he had many people killed and although he tortured many people, um, he's never raped anyone. And the amount of torture that Ramsay inflicts on his people, including his own stepmother, including on Sansa, of course, and uh, Greyjoy, um, would actually be enough to, at the very least, consider um, a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder for him. So people with antisocial personality disorder are highly impulsive, have no um, sense of empathy or very little sense of empathy, very little regard for others. Um, they're often found torturing or abusing other people. And Ramsey, who feeds his own stepmother and her child to his dogs is a really clear example of antisocial personality disorder. I was actually really excited to see what happened to him in Battle of the Bastards. That episode was incredible. Oh, I loved it. He gets, he, he gets killed in bits by his own dogs. <laughs> Absolutely. And the fact that it was Sansa that gets to administer the um, final punishment to him, I thought was beautiful. Um, but to answer your question, I do think that um, Ramsay was a lot more sadistic than Joffrey was. I think Joffrey had a lot more class, even though um, I couldn't stand either character and Joffrey was awful, absolutely awful in his own ways. But I think the um, the ruthlessness of um, Ramsay Bolton is probably unmatched in the series. Yeah, I mean, when, you're, when your family's, you know, whole banner is a flayed man and your words are something like a naked man has few secrets and a flayed man has none i i, I think you're pretty wrong yeah <laughs> but i mean that was kind of a fun question for me personally i, I want to go a little bit deeper um into other things um so in the tv show 
um, we have the Night King, and the Night King was created by the children of the forest um, to protect themselves and their sacred weirwood trees. Um, and eventually their creation backfired and turned back on them, resulting in the Long Night, White Walkers, and the Army of the Dead. And now in this last season, we see the full impact of this creation. How can something like this correlate to any psychological issues? Oh, gosh, what a... What a deep question. I think there are so many examples we might be able to draw. I think sometimes the very things that we choose, the very coping strategies that we choose to try to protect ourselves or to hide away from our pain might ultimately be harmful. I can imagine, for example, people using substances to cope with certain pain that they might be going through, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. I can imagine that um, this method of coping uh, being really damaging and unhealthy in the long term, right? And then maybe even a, a more literal example of when somebody, um, let's say, asks uh, a friend or someone else to bully someone that they're scared of for them, and then the very protector that they hire might then turn on the individual that hired them and, and bully them too, right? So I think sometimes the very things that we hide behind, the very ways with which we try to hide and and um, and push down our pain might um, sometimes end up hurting us. And I think this is a really great metaphor for how sometimes avoidance of coping with certain things ourselves can really create more difficulties. And there's a saying, avoidance creates the very things we're trying to avoid. And sometimes avoidance of pain creates more pain. And I think that we really see that when we try to suppress our emotions, when we try to suppress our own anguish, devastation, anxiety, um, how it might actually come back to haunt us full form and uh, might lead to development of certain mental health disorders that might, uh, might further hurt us in the future. Just hearing what you said right now and seeing the last bit, and here comes spoilers, people. The last bit of the last uh, season there when they break down the wall and the White Walkers are coming and, you know, doom is on the horizon. It it has come full force. Absolutely. Also last season we see that uh, John and Danny seem to be the forerunners for the Iron Throne and the protectors and either one of them can be the, the main uh, prince that was promised or whatever, the Zora High. You see that they both have good hearts, but they're very impulsive. What do you think of their union together and their trajectory in the next season? The optimist in me so badly wants to see them on the throne together. We know that John doesn't really want the throne, and Danny does. And I think it would be so great if Danny would be the queen of the seven kingdoms and john was her king and she was the ruler um unfortunately that's not how the series is known to run so i have a feeling even though that's what a lot of fans want that's what i want i have a feeling that's not what's going to happen and i'm really really scared that either one or both of them will end up dying yikes and i i hope not because i love them both so much I'm really, really hoping that at least one of them would then make it to the throne. They're both so pure-hearted. They're both really driven to protect 
those who cannot stand up for themselves, they are the very definition of heroism. So psychologically speaking, heroes are people who protect other people who stand up for what's right, even if it means a great risk to themselves. And both Danny and um, and John do that on multiple occasions, um, even if it means them getting hurt or risking their own lives to protect other people and to stand up for what they believe in. And I think because of that, they both really deserve it. And I, I really hope that at least one of them will end up on the throne. I love them both. And I'm glad that they got together. I mean, uh, let's set aside the fact that, you know, Daenerys is John's aunt and <laughs> all that good stuff. But they're kind of great at heart together you know, regardless of whether or not they're related, I think they're both really good together. And what they what they want to promote in the whole land of Westeros is is, is a good thing. One of their biggest supporters, let's say, is uh, Tyrion. And Tyrion is, to me, the epitome of a survivor. I mean, he has done it all, been there. He was even a prisoner of the Sky Cells in the Eyrie. So what I want to know is what is it about him that makes him seem to stand taller than those who are uh, more fortunate than him? From the very moment that he was born, he had everything set against him. His father abused him and blamed him for the death of his mother. His siblings detested him and made fun of him. And I think that because of that, Tyrion turned to the thing that he is really good at, and that's learning. Um, he turned to books. And I think that despite everything he'd been through, he managed to make himself one of the most valuable uh, people and um, and then became hand of the queen to Daenerys. And I think that what we see in Tyrion, um, like we see in Brienne, is an example of true resilience is when life throws so many adversities our way, we might find a way that we can contribute. We might find our strength, our superpower um, to guide us through it, to make us valid and valuable and to give us meaning. And for Tyrion, um, even through his ups and downs, he's always shown above his siblings because of how incredibly intelligent he is. The king can do as he likes. The mad king did as he liked. Has your uncle Jamie ever told you what happened to him? No one threatens his grace in the presence of the king's god. I'm not threatening the king, sir. I am educating my nephew. Bronn, the next time Sir Merwin speaks, kill him. That was a threat. See the difference? And I think that's why Jamie always respected him, um, even if he doesn't always um, allow um, Tyrion to know that. Um, and I think that because of his perseverance, because of his talent, that's why he's as successful as he is today. Now, like many people out there, I believe that um, Tyrion is a Targaryen. I do think that his father was a Targaryen. And um, some people actually think and predict that he will be the one to end up on the Iron Throne, which I think would also be really interesting. Yeah. Um, but whether he's on the throne or whether he is the hand of the queen or the hand of the king, I think he would be amazing um, somewhere near the throne and involved um, with um, with the Westeros. Gosh, 
like I said, the epitome of a survivor. He, if he survives everything and goes through all these, you know, pitfalls of, you know, every bit of doom and then ends up on the Iron Throne, that's pretty darn cool. I agree completely. Since we're on the, you know, topic of Tyrion and the Lannisters, I guess he might be a Targaryen, but let's go with the Lannisters here. Um, Cersei is a very interesting character and she has been very dynamic and I mean she has overcome so much and is now the whole queen of Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms but it seems to me that she is bound to betray everything she has built based on her fear and her distrust. So what I want to know is how do you see her character wrapping up the final season? Cersei is a very interesting character because she's had to become the woman that she is, I think, because of the really poor cards she was dealt. Um, in observing her family, she didn't really have many choices in how to behave if it meant that she would be able to protect her family. She actually tried to love Robert and because he mistreated her so badly and cheated on her constantly, she had a, a really hard time uh, being a loving, caring wife. Now, I'm not protecting Cersei. I'm not saying that her actions were acceptable or admirable in any way. But I think that she's a, a woman that, because of the desperate situation that she was placed in, was willing to do anything possible to protect her family and to make sure that her family survived. And... um I think that that unfortunately turned her into the ruthless person that she became. Now, a part of me thinks that there is a chance that she might have lied to Jamie and Tyrion about being pregnant. Um, I think that it's possible that she lied because that might have made her seem more vulnerable and as a result served a number of different functions. If uh, Jamie thinks that she's pregnant, he's more likely to protect her and to give in to her whims and, and to do everything possible to protect their child since the two of them have no children left. I also think that if Tyrion believes that she's pregnant, he's more likely to see her as um, vulnerable and therefore desperate and therefore trustworthy. And a part of me really thinks that she's manipulating both of her brothers. Um, and so I think there's a there's a chance that she's not pregnant at all. I mean, her whole mode of operation is manipulation when you come down to it. Um, and me personally, I thought uh, she was going to be killed off the last season, um, and that didn't happen. So obviously it's going to happen in this next season. I don't think she's going to survive the whole thing. I don't think um, there's room in Westeros for her kind of personality. And to be honest, in the book, Maggie the Frog kind of predicted that she was going to die by the Valenquar, who is the little brother in Valerian. The theories are that it's going to be Jamie. I don't know, but I don't think she's going to last very long. It looks like it's going to be either Jamie or Tyrion at this point, but if I had to bet, I, I would think that you're right. I think it's going to be Jamie. He is a few minutes younger than her, so he is her younger brother. Um, and I think that given the amount of mistrust and manipulation and the horrors that she's inflicted on them, I think that um, I think that he's probably going to get sick of it all and um, and might take her life. I think that he probably blames her for Tommen's death. I think he's still really heartbroken over Marcella's death. Um, and I think that 
um, he probably wouldn't be able to forgive her if he learns that she lied about being pregnant. And I imagine she might pull a few more things. I would agree that there's a good chance that he might be the one to end her life. Well, that's the beauty of Game of Thrones. I mean, there's so many theories. There's so many ways to go. It's so rich with characters, so rich with history and everything. I mean, we can go on and on and on. But unfortunately, we've come to the end here of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. Again, I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis, and you can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on my website, superhero-therapy.com or at Shadow Quill on Twitter. And we will be back on the 25th of November. So stay tuned and have a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>